0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Joe Russo, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey,
1: thanks so much, Mark. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, It's great to have you here. This is going to be an interesting conversation. This is a, a problem that so many architects have, so many building owners have, so many clients have, permitting contractors. Everybody, right? Everybody who's dealing with building departments is dealing with the process of permitting, right? It's an antiquated process that is being run by people that often are very qualified. Sometimes they're not so qualified. That's right. And you're dealing with people who have lots of control, basically total control over whether you're going to build the project that you have designed or not. And so We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the permitting problem in our conversation here. That
1: power that they like to have, huh?
0: Yes. Yes. Well, I think every architect does experience that for sure. Right. So I want to talk about that. I want to, I want to learn more about you first though. Let me introduce you and then we'll, I want to learn your origin story. Joe's an architect based in Seattle, Washington, coming to the Pacific Northwest from the Rust Belt in Ohio. Joe brings a refreshing balance of practical directness and efficiency to the innovative out-of-the-box thinking he's gained from working with so many award-winning architects over the past 20 years. He's also quite experienced doing construction, gets his hands dirty, swings the hammer, and he prefers to be on the job site than being in the office at a desk, So, which I can relate to. It's something that I really enjoy as well. I love being out on the job site. I spent many years doing that before I became an architect, intentionally knowing that I was going to be an architect, that I wanted to be out there understanding how buildings get put together and even more importantly how contractors and builders think and how they relate to architects because i have a family who are contractors and builders and then when i said hey i want to be an architect they said why (laughs) and so i wanted to learn how to do all that
1: i admire that very much
0: so i can understand your passion for that you also have a passion for permitting and the problem of permitting and we're going to talk about that before we do that i want to know more about you as an architect Go back as far as you want to go back, Joe, and tell us about when you discovered your passion for architecture and maybe even who or what inspired you to pursue architecture and bring us up to where we are today.
1: Yeah. So I think like a lot of us, we just had this interest in drawing. When you sit down and draw, for me, it gives me a way of expressing what I'm interested in. And as an only child, I was able to use that to kind of fill my time. So then- as I got older and, and thought about, hey, what do I wanna do when I, when I grow up? Oh, I wanna be an artist. And I remember my mom letting me know, boy, that's pretty hard, you're welcome to do that. She signed me up for art classes at a local museum, but then she kind of like poked me in this direction that you know it's difficult to become an artist and make a living at it, but there's a job called an architect where people pay you to do drawings of buildings. So that sort of pushed me in that direction a little bit. And then, of course, my dad was always handy doing his own DIY projects around the house. And we had a next-door neighbor that eventually moved next to us who ran a small residential construction company. And he would bring me on job sites and kept me busy learning how to do rough carpentry, framing, cleaning up job sites. And that's where I really discovered that the construction industry was where I belonged. So that's how I basically got my hands dirty in learning how things work. And that influenced me to also not want to have to do that for the rest of my life, working in really, really cold and really, really hot conditions on job sites digging the holes in the snow, beyond on roofs.
0: That's one of the benefits of, of doing it when you're young, right? You realize, wow, I really like this. But when it's 110 degrees out and you're on a roof, you're like, yeah. I think I'd rather be in an office with an air, air conditioner put on my back.
1: Yeah, so that, that instigated the idea to not do it the rest of my life, but to put, still be in part of that industry. So architecture was a natural fit for me. So obviously, like most of your listeners went to architecture school and when i graduated there was no jobs it was in the middle of kind of a recession and i literally looked in every single state in the whole country and that's how i ended up in seattle they were happening to still build be building things and where i was from they were taking the cities apart it was that much of a depressed area so i landed myself in Seattle and worked with a a few architects and learned the craft. And from there, I eventually started my own practice. And leading up to what we're talking about today, I think I've designed several hundred projects. Uh, It's over 500 projects that I've worked on. And I've encountered this common thread that the permitting process, as you mentioned, is very, very antiquated. Yeah it has gotten you know a little bit more modernized with online plan submittals, but I've noticed that there, there's a definite problem with how it gets executed and sort of the dichotomy between the building plans reviewer and the architect and this sort of lack of respect for one another that I've learned that if you can solve that problem and yeah. bridge those two things together, you're in a much better place. So that's kind of where the the permit problem guide was born.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. I agree with you. I I think that is the solution, right? Is to understand who you're dealing with, where they're coming from, what's important to them and address that, right? Because like we said earlier, you're dealing with a building department in a specific town or city. You're dealing with a very specific inspector, right? Or plan reviewer or whomever you're dealing with. And you don't have a choice. They are who they are, right? And you have to get through that process in order to get to the next step. And often, the most important step in the whole process is to actually get it built. So, talk to me a little bit about. You put together a guide. You mentioned a permit problem guide, which actually, if you're interested, listeners, uh, if you want to check it out, it's uh, permitproblemguide.com. It's a course that you can go through. There's a mini course and a more in-depth course. But can you explain? Let's start with the problem. Can you dive a little bit deeper into what you've discovered the problem to be? Yeah. And then let's talk through that a little bit.
1: So the problem is twofold. One is our problem, our meaning the designers, the architects, because of a lack of knowledge that we have that I endeavor to help people solve. And the other problem is, like you mentioned, something that we're just kind of stuck with the reviewer that reviews our plans and how good of a day they happen to be having and during that moment that they look at our drawings. So the problem is often that the building departments are implementing their opinions or incorrect interpretations of what the building codes or the land use codes actually are. That's the root of the problem. So every time that there's a permit problem, I really urge architects or building owners, developers, contractors to ask, why? Why is this building reviewer telling me that I have to install sprinklers in this building? There's always a reason why, and it's related to some code. But what you really need to check in is, does that code really exist? Oftentimes, it's somebody's interpretation at the building department that's simply wrong and this happens over and over again. and Oftentimes, it's not even based on a code. It's based off of their personal opinion or based off of some other situation of what they did last time. But this time, it's not the same exact situation, and it needs to be interpreted differently. So I really teach people how to dive into that and to ask why. Why is this a requirement? Is this a requirement? And how do you prove that it is or isn't and what to do about it? And then not to make a contentious relationship with the person that's telling you to do something, but to have a mutual understanding and realize that we're in something called a practice. We're practicing, we're both learning. We're always endeavoring to do better and to adapt to all the new rules and regulations so to educate one another and to come up with the best possible solution moving forward. So that's the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've experienced that. And I'm sure every architect listening has experienced something similar. Can you take us through a specific case that you've experienced where you've you know done a project, submitted it, sort of hit that barrier, and specifically what you did to work your way through it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I may have asked, do you want a short one or a long one?
0: It's up to you. I want a good one.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe I'll just give you a really quick one and then we can go from there. So just yesterday, I mean, this happens all the time, nearly every day. But just yesterday, we had a, a plans reviewer tell us that we needed to add sprinklers onto a DADU, a detached accessory dwelling unit, which is commonly a garage with a little living space up above. And This is very uncommon that we'd have to add sprinklers. So I asked, why? Why do we need to add sprinklers? And the answer was, well, the access road for the fire department leading to this site is less than 20 feet. And I find that hard to believe that it's actually less than 20 feet as I'm looking on Google Earth and navigating my way to the the site. It's just a regular neighborhood. So I asked the client, hey, can you just cut yourself a rope that's 20 feet long and you and your husband walk around the neighborhood and see if you ever run into something. And they did. And if you go right out of their driveway, sure, it's pretty narrow. If you go left, it's not a dead end street. They can easily navigate to the main arterial. So with that, we were able to ask the question why, found the answer, the threshold was 20 feet, and came up with a way of testing it and we're able to show the the reviewer that, hey, this is actually not 20 feet if you turn left, but it is less than 20 feet if you turn right. So consequently, we were able to show them that we did not need to provide the sprinklers in this garage, which saved the client a lot of money. Yeah. Of course, it is safer to provide the sprinklers, but is it necessary? Is it a requirement? So that's a quick little story. And boy, I have dozens and dozens of these things I could share if you'd like.
0: Yeah, well, let me ask you another specific question because what we're talking about are personalities, right? We're talking about people here, right? We have architects, we have clients, potentially have contractors and you have building department officials. And everybody has a personality, right? Some are looking to help solve the problem. Others are intentionally looking to create a barrier. So, you know, they're looking for obstacles that they can put in front of you. I've experienced both. Is there anything specific that you do Because much of what you're talking about is psychology, right? Which is much of what architects do, which is interesting because we're not trained in any of that, although we should be, but we're dealing with another person. So what do you do when you have one of those building inspectors that is there, that it feels like it's his or her job to put you through the ringer, right? To find ways to put obstacles in front of you to get your building permit approved.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And as you were talking, what I did was I just pulled up the permit problem guide mini course to help myself answer that question. Yeah. Because for me, it kind of comes so naturally, but I took the time to kind of spell it out to help others. And you're right. What I've listed out here that I'm going to just kind of summarize back to you, it reminds me where I was able to articulate this from. I read a book that was written by a hostage negotiator. Kind of like you see on dramatic movies and stuff like that. And he wrote a book on how to negotiate in a business context. And he uses all of the same strategies that he uses with hostage negotiation when he's just trying to get through a contract negotiation with somebody. Because you're right, it's all about the emotions with the people that you're dealing with. So basically You have to get that person to like you. It's really as simple as that. How do you get that person to like you? A lot of us, we've all probably been down this road. When something doesn't go well, you get mad, you get frustrated, and you start arguing or yelling. That might make you feel good to feel justified that, hey, this idiot's making me do this or that. But it's not going to really help you.
0: You get defensive. right? You find ways to defend yourself. Exactly. You can't
1: get defensive. So step one is you need to figure out a way to support their thought process. It's, it's a matter of being empathetic. Try to understand how they came to their mode of thinking and basically just repeat it back to them. Say, hey, I think I hear you saying this. So when you repeat it back to them, it shows that you understand them. Maybe you really don't believe them or support them, but it shows that you can at least understand what it is they said, and that makes them feel a little bit better about you. So when they feel better about you, now you're in a position where you can let them know how you feel, right? So when you can let them know how you feel, they're going to be a little bit more open and empathetic to you in understanding your point of view. So that gets you to really create a team environment where now you're not butting heads against one another, but you're working together as part of the same team that's going to help to make this same building a reality together. So if you can get there and feel like you're part of the same team, at some point, they're going to feel like they're an unreasonable person to disagree with you. Yeah. Now, this all has to be founded in fact. We're talking about emotion and fact. So the emotion, that part of it is something that you can manipulate. You can try to get this person to be on your team, like I said. But again, you have to research the facts. And that means the codes and the conditions of your situation. But that empathy, that mutual empathy towards one another is really the key to solving that problem.
0: Yeah, it's very, very interesting because, you know, like you said, the fact is the fact, right? There is a code written, right? And it is, this is how it works. And then it's a matter of interpretation, but but there's still a fact, right? There's the rule and this is the rule, right? And so now it's just a matter of dealing with the personality, dealing with the person who is disagreeing with you, right? And I love that, that you're essentially saying, okay, you're starting this process on two sides of the table, right? The inspector's on one side, you're on the other side, and you're working to get on the same side of the table, right? You're, you're working with them to, to say, okay, you start as opposing teams and now we're on the same team trying to find the same solutions to the same problems with the same goals. That's right. And that's a difficult thing to do unless you know how to do it. And that's exactly what you're talking about here is giving architects the rules and the process of how to go about that. Stephen Covey, in one of the seven habits... Of highly effective people talks about seek first to understand before you are understood Mm -hmm. right and so that's one of his rules is to seek first to understand find out why they're thinking this why are they pushing back why is this important to this inspector to deny you this permit based on this rule or this interpretation (music) let's take a quick break to say thank you To our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's arcat.com unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entre Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us. And we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit entrearchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entre Architect Network today the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. The other thing that you talked about, and you didn't use this word, but you're also looking to show mutual respect, right? And this works with contractors too. Architects and contractors often butt heads. As soon as contractors recognize, and building inspectors are the same way, who are often... Retired contractors, by the way, Mm -hmm. as soon as they realize that you respect them and their experience, they very often flip a switch because architects have a reputation of having big egos and knowing everything and contractors and inspectors often start out resisting because that's their expectation of who you are. But as soon as you show them that that's not who you are they flip a switch, right? You go from two sides of the table to the same side of the table very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, it's an absolutely different paradigm once that respect has been established. Yeah. One of the other key points here too is especially with with newer architects, people that are new in the field, they tend to divulge too much information. Yes. So one of the first tips that I give people is shut your mouth. So true. Just don't type out that long email. The key is to get the other person to do the talking because they're going to tell you what their concerns are. If you let too much information out, then you're probably going to say something that's going to shoot your case down and and you won't have much of an argument left. But if you let the other party, the reviewer, the inspector, do the talking, you're going to find what all of those bullet point things are that you can now start to address as you try to solve this permit problem
0: yeah that's very very wise clearly through experience right because you're right (laughs) because as young architects we've most of us have done that a lot of it comes from nerves a lot of it comes from inexperience you do that talking with a building inspector often in a planning board meeting you'll do that right you'll say too much in defense right in presentation or in trying to get your project approved you say more than you need to. Yes. And what happens is that maybe one of the members of the board or this building inspector that you're dealing with for this building permit now has something else that they're worried about, right? You just gave them another thing that they have to worry about that they weren't even thinking about. And now that's a problem you're going to have to solve too, because you said too much. That's right. And that's something that as a young architect, I learned too. Actually, I learned that from my wife. My wife, who was also an architect. Would go to the planning board meetings with me, and I would present, and I would shoot off my mouth, and and they would say something, and I would get defensive, and I would try to educate this person who doesn't know, and say too much, and then open up a can of worms to things that that weren't a problem that are now a problem. So saying only what you need to say and keeping your mouth closed, when, and that's hard to do, especially when you know the truth, right? You know the answer, mm-hmm. and you want them to just know that you know the answer it is a great rule to just say what you need to say and keep your mouth shut.
1: That's right. And that brings me to the next kind of tip, which is to use ambiguity in your favor. So understanding the codes, like I said, is so important, but to also understand that human beings wrote these codes. They're not perfect. There's an intent there. We use that term all the time. What is the intent of the code? We all know that overall the intent is for the buildings to be better and safer, to protect humans, right? So to do that in a reasonable way. But nonetheless, the codes are written in a fashion that hopefully allows them to be used in every situation possible. But that's where this ambiguity comes in. So when you're in these situations where... Uh, the building department is interpreting something and it's really not in your favor or against your client's favor you can think about well what is ambiguous about what that person's interpretation is and where is that ambiguity in the code now this really gets into the english language and how prepositional phrases are set off by Or independent clauses and coordinating conjunctions and those kind of things where if you really dissect a sentence in the land use code or building code, you could come up with different meanings for the same sentence based on how you believe it was written. So then it's your job to A, understand, like we said, what the reviewer's point of view is. Once you understand that, then you can start to interpret those ambiguous phrases in a way that gets you to that mutual understanding and hopefully the mutual respect that will allow that reviewer to see your point of view, understand it, and hopefully rule in your favor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And much of what you're talking about, Joe, comes from experience, right? It comes from practice. It's not easy to do what you're talking about doing. And the first time you do it, you won't get it right. You'll have to go back and review what you've done and analyze what you've done. How do I do this better next time? But once you understand how to do it, it's really powerful. And what's really great is that once you've done it with one person, right? You've you've built this relationship, this mutual respect with this building inspector. The next time you submit a building permit application, that process is way easier than the first time you've done it because now this building inspector knows who you are and understands how you work, right? They have respect for you. And so now, rather than setting up barriers for you, now they're looking for ways to help you through this process. Because like you said in the beginning, Joe, now they like you, right? I want to help Joe get through this process. I understand him. I respect him. He respects me, right? We've gone through this. I've proven to this inspector that I'm on his side too or her side too, but it takes practice, right?
1: Yeah, you're talking about a reasonable inspector or a reasonable <laughs> That's right. reviewer, and they're not all that way. And I think like most industries out there, there's always bad apples, whether you're talking about athletes or politicians or architects yes. or reviewers, right? There's always going to be these bad apples and the bad apples really stand out in our minds and they really put a, a hindrance on our profession. And We seem to remember those ones the most. And that's really what the Permit Problem Guy is, is about. It's to help us to learn how to be better architects and how we get through permit problems, which is, frankly, it's pretty easy when you have a reasonable reviewer. But when you have those unreasonable ones, that's where the challenge comes into play. And the tips that we offer really help you to convert somebody that's being very unreasonable to somebody that is more on the spectrum of being reasonable yeah a key to that is also understanding how people interpret communication so when we communicate with one another we, we do this verbally we do this with the tone of our voice with our body language and there's a formula for this some people call it the 55 38 7 formula. I think that adds up to 100. You might want to check.
0: (laughs) Everybody's doing math right now.
1: Yeah. So 55% of our communication is nonverbal. So that's the the tone of our voice and in our body language. 38% of it is specifically the tone of our voice and and how it sounds to people, not necessarily what we're saying, but how it sounds. And then it really just breaks down to 7% is what the written word actually says. And unfortunately, when we are communicating with building officials, most of that is through email. And we're losing that opportunity that exists with the nonverbal communication. And that's really what helps us to establish this camaraderie and this mutual respect. It's really difficult to do through emails. So we give people tips on how to overcome that strategies to use to try and get people to get better at their nonverbal communication and to push a lot of these uh, problematic situations into a situation like you and I are in now where it's face-to-face, even if it's virtual, it's a lot better than if it's just through that email exchange that can get very contentious very quickly.
0: Yeah, super interesting. And I haven't, heard anybody else pursuing this problem, this permit problem, and the things that you're talking about are things that every architect is dealing with. I know everybody who's been through this process is recognizing all the scenarios that we're talking about. What was the thing that inspired you to do this? There must have been a moment where you're like, I figured this out. I'm really good at this now. And I want to share this with other architects. What inspired you to do that?
1: So I've been involved with a lot of these situations, the experience of just dealing with them. But if I had to really pin it down to one moment, I just remember being at a backyard barbecue party somewhere and and somebody asks you, "Hey, hey, what do you do for a living? And when you say architect, they start asking you all these questions about their own homes and stuff that I didn't really have time for at that moment. So I just said, Well, I help people deal with permit problems. And that's just part of what I do as an architect. But I said that, and they said, What do you mean by that? And I said, Well, think about a defense attorney. What doesn't a defense attorney do? They help people that are in a problem to solve that problem and to come out the other side, hopefully in their benefit. I do that with buildings, with the building permit process. People will call me with a, a very specific issue. And what I've learned is oftentimes they're being blamed for something that they didn't do or for something that's not really a requirement, but they're being required to spend tens of thousands of dollars on construction materials or labor to get out of that problem. So I help them to get through that problem by using the rules that are actually written in their favor to support their case by showing the building department that's accusing them of something, how they can come out the other side without spending a single dollar on these construction practices that are arbitrarily being required of them because they're not requirements. And that person that I was explaining this to said, wow, that sounds really, really cool. I've never heard anything like that before. And I thought to myself, huh, wonder if he's right. Yeah. So that evening I googled it and I tried to find is there anybody helping others to solve permit problems and I couldn't find anything. So that was the moment where I thought all right, I already have people asking me for help in these situations. I'm getting myself through these situations. So maybe I can do whatever I can do to help other people out there because I know these are problems that exist for every single architect and builder that are doing any kind of work
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing it. It also shows the value of an architect, right? When you responded to that person at the barbecue that you help people solve a permit problem, it's much more valuable to them than I'm an architect, right? Which immediately they just think, oh, we draw pretty pictures, right? That a builder builds. But when you explain what you just went through, you're like, oh, wow, that's a really valuable service that that person provides, much like an attorney who gets paid a lot of money, right? Now you instantly show the value of what one piece of what we do is how that's valuable to the clients that we work with.
1: Yeah. And the analogy with an attorney, we're not practicing law, but in a sense, architects interpret law and there's an element of that. And those attorneys, they do charge, like you said, a lot of money for the service they provide. And I have found that when I am helping people solve permit problems, I'm able to to charge attorney rates and people are happy to pay it. They are so happy to pay it. And if you were to ask me maybe 10 years ago what the best thing in my job has ever been, I'd probably think about one of the cool buildings I've designed and show you a picture of it. But I think if you were to ask me now, one of the best moments in, in my career, it would probably be a situation where there's just an old guy who replaced a window on his garage and got a building permit violation because he didn't get a permit to replace his window that got broken because his, his lawnmower bit a stone at it. And he's freaked out and has letters coming from building departments with fines and stuff. and Me helping him to get out of that situation uh, without having to pay any fines, without having to get a permit, and knowing that that person can now sleep at night without this fear of the government coming down on him for something that really should have never happened. Right. Those are the moments that really, really make me feel good about what I do, and I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I love it. Joe, before we wrap things up here, I want to ask you the one question that I ask all my guests. You're a business owner. You've built a business from scratch, experienced many, many different phases along the way. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Okay. Yeah. That's something where the answer I'm going to give you,
1: I've heard it answered in two completely opposite ways. But for me, it is, Say yes to everything. I think when you're a really well established firm, you can turn down projects and be selective about the things that you take. But for me, I have been so interested in my profession that I've had such a hard time saying no to a project. And consequently, that's given me the ability to learn so many different, unique things because I've immersed myself in these situations where I've just had to learn new stuff. And admittedly, some of those situations I I probably should have said no to because maybe I wasn't perfectly qualified for it or it was a nightmare client, a nightmare situation. However, when you jump into the deep end of the pool, you gotta get yourself out. And the only way to do that is to learn what needs to be learned Get the experts to work with you that can help you to get out of the pool. Because if you don't, then you're stuck, right? So learning everything about those situations by simply saying yes to them has allowed me to have such a broad sense of knowledge that I can now use and implement into all the rest of my projects. And I'm a better architect for it.
0: Yeah. What a great answer. His name is Joe Russo. Um, You can learn more about the permit problem guide at permitproblemguide.com. There's a mini course. It's pretty reasonable. I think it's like a hundred bucks, something like that.
1: We have a promotion going. It's $39 right now.
0: All right. So there you go. It's even less. So permitproblemguide.com. And then there's a more in-depth version as well. Go check it all out at permitproblemguide.com. We'll have a link on the show notes as well. If you're driving, just go to the show notes for this episode, click the link, and it'll go directly to Joe's website. Joe, thank you for coming by here. When you first reached out to me about this, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting problem, right? This is something that we all deal with, and I'm curious to find out what he's selling here. But it's really interesting, the conversation that we just had. We all go through this. I and mean, we all run into this same problem, and so many of us have to learn this from experience, right? making many mistakes over and over and over again through many years, probably, before you get good enough to sort of understand how to navigate this problem of permitting. But you put together a service here that many architects can really jump right in, learn what you've learned through experience, and start using it today, right? Using it on your next permit. So permitproblemguide.com. Thank you for coming by here, sharing so much about things that you've learned. I'm sure that there are lots of architects right now who can take what we've just talked about and go use that today. But also to put together a course like this to be able to share what you've learned is really valuable. So I appreciate you for doing that as well. Thanks for coming by here at the Entree Architect podcast.
1: All right. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark.
0: If you liked this episode of Entree Architect podcast, please share a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, Arcat and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entre Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entre Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com members. That's G-A-B-L media.com members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and go share what you know.